Well, the topic of my discussion tonight is the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. And I just want to talk to you tonight about Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. You know, I've been really drawn to reading Matthew 24 and 25, especially because of where we've been this year and especially with what's been happening this year. And as I've been looking at Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, the heading in my NIV Bible says, The signs of the end of the age. But you know what's really very important for us to understand about Matthew 24 and Matthew 25? This was the very last thing that Jesus did before he went to be crucified. And when we realize that the very last sermon, the very last message that Jesus spoke, knowing that he was about to be crucified, was Matthew 24 and 25 and they're not two separate chapters friends we need to look at them as one message because in this message he speaks to the church he speaks to his disciples he tells them what to wait for and what to expect he tells them everything that is going to be happening at the time just before he comes back again and then he shares four parables with them and so I want to just talk to you about that tonight and for us to understand what it is what was the message that Jesus wanted to bring to his church for the revelation that he wanted to bring and what was it he wanted them to see well I think the most exciting thing <clears throat> about this passage of scripture is they started off by saying to him as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives the disciples came to him privately and they said to him when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age Friends, Jesus coming back. He's coming as the bridegroom. He's coming back as the king. And he's coming back as the judge. And what he's coming back to do is to judge that which doesn't align with the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom purposes. But he's coming back as the bridegroom. So when they said to him, what will be the coming of the age and what will be the sign of the time? Everything within him was excited, friends, because he started talking about the fact that he was coming back to fetch his bride. I'm coming back to fetch my bride and this is what it's going to look like. And there was this excitement within him. And I want you to understand that because I've called this passage, the spirit and the bride say, come. Friends, we have to understand that we are in the last days. And I know that there's the last days, the last hours, the last moments. And I know that no man knows the exact time and the exact season that Jesus will come back and the exact hour. But it does say you'll know the times. It does say you'll recognize it. It does say that we need to know and we need to recognize. But I want you to get the feeling of the incredible excitement because Jesus is talking about I'm coming back. I'm coming back to fetch my bride. I've been, I'm going there to go and prepare a place for her. I'm going to my father's house to build a mansion for her. And this is my moment when I'm coming back to get this beautiful bride. I cannot wait for. He's engaged to his bride, friends. And he's coming back to fetch her. And I want you to understand that is the heart. It's a heart of love. It's a heart of excitement. It's a heart of expectance. It's a heart of passionate love that he is talking about when he's unfolding and unpacking this passage of scripture. And as we look at it, there is a separation that he talks about. There's a separation between the deep dark world and the people of God, the church of God. But there's also a separation between those that are ready and those that aren't. And that's the message that I want to share with you tonight. You know, I've said to you before that in Joel and Malachi, looking down the window of time, both of them spoke about the great and dreadful day before Jesus came back. 
But Peter, once he'd been encountered with the Holy Spirit and once he was full of the Holy Spirit, he spoke about the great and glorious day. It is a glorious day for the bride of Christ. It's an expectation of being brought together with a lover of her soul. There's just such a delight and a joy and an expectation and a getting ready. I mean, have you ever, I had two daughters that we got ready for their marriage. There is such an expectation for the wedding feast. And friends, this is what he wants us to get. As he is speaking in this passage of scripture just before his death, you know, I was so aware that he was facing the worst hours of his life just after this. And in facing the worst hours of his life, he lifted their heads and said to them, but I want to tell you about the best hour that's going to be coming. And that's the day that I come back and I fetch my beautiful bride. You see, friends, we are going into the season of the bridegroom. We are going into the season of the lover of our soul. This is the revival of the bridegroom preparing for his bride. It's a revival of love, friends. It's a revival of passion. It's a revival of excitement. And we have to understand that. And we've got to know that. And the bride is getting herself ready. And there's such an excitement about that. I can remember in the years when my husband was um, still had to go to the army once a year and he would go off to camps for 11 years he did this and then we would hear that they were coming back soon and we didn't know the exact date and they'd been gone for a few months and there would be this incredible excitement daddy's coming home girls daddy's coming home and you would quickly get everything ready get the house spotlessly tidy everybody would start getting ready you would get yourself ready to look your best every time he went away um, I would try and when he came back that I would have lost some weight because I've always battled a little bit with my weight that you could look the best that you possibly could look so that when the bridegroom came home there was such an excitement there was such a joy there was such an expectation and everybody was saying when's he coming when's he coming have you heard from me when's he coming and that is the state friends that we have to be in as we're waiting for our bridegroom to come back. You know, as I was preparing for this, I remembered that old hymn, and, and, and I don't even know if I can remember all of it, but I just want to sing a little bit of it, because it just got me so excited about the hour that we live in. It goes something like this. The King is coming, the King is coming, I can hear the angels singing, and oh, his face I see. The king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. That's the hour, friends, that we're living in. The hour of the king is coming. Please excuse my little dog. She's just heard a noise outside. The king is coming. Well... A great and glorious day for those who love him. And as we look at Matthew 24, I want to read quite a lot of passages of scripture for you tonight because I want you to get the feel of what Jesus was speaking about. Matthew 24 verse 3, as the Lord was sitting on the Mount of the Olives, Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of the time of the coming of the end of the age? Then Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. Friends, the very first thing Jesus said 
was be careful because that time is going to be full of deceptive wolves that are going to be roaming around. Watch out that you do not get deceived. Friends, the only way that we cannot be deceived is to be so full of truth that when falsehood comes, we can recognize it straight away. We are in the season of great deception. I think if, now, if 2020 has done anything, it's shown us that we're in the season of great deception. Fake news is everywhere. It comes on, it goes off. No matter what you do or what you say, fake, 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 fake. How can everything possibly be fake? Because deception is ruling and reigning. And because nobody wants you to get a revelation of what it is that you're meant to be knowing. And how do we know truth? The spirit of truth within you has to be so strong that when the spirit of falsehood comes, you are not deceived. It said in Matthew 7, verse 15 to 20, Beware of the pharmacy. Beware of the false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. They smell like sheep. But inwardly they are ferocious wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Friends, how do we judge if something comes from God or doesn't come from God? Does it have Galatians 5.22 oozing out of it? Do we see a people that represent the heart and the character of Jesus? Or do we see a people that represent the heart and the character of the enemy? Arrogance, pride, lauding themselves, declaring, building their own kingdom. What is it that we see when these wolves come? And friends, they will be false prophets, but they will come in sheep's clothing. And we have to recognize this. We have to know. Do men gather grapes from thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that does not bring forth good fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire, whereby their fruit, um, sorry, therefore by their fruit you will know them. You know, the Bible warns us about false prophets in the last days. In 2 Peter 2 verse 1 to 3, in Matthew 7 verse 15, in Matthew 24 verse 24, in Mark 13 verse 22, in 1 John 4 verse 1 to 6, in 2 John 1 verse 7 to 11, in 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, and in 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. When Jesus says, be careful, do not be deceived, he was being very serious, friends, because false prophets have been released into this world and they're coming to deceive the church. And we have to recognize it. Then he goes on to say, for many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Christ and will deceive many. Second time he says it. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Have we been hearing of wars and rumors of wars? Yes, we have. But see to it that you are not alarmed. So the first thing that he warns us about is be careful of a spirit of deception. The second thing he warns us about, friends, is the fact that we are not to let fear grip us. Do not be alarmed. Do not let terror grip. I want to tell you now, the Bible says that my people's hearts will perish them because of fear. Well, 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 um, but hearts will fail because of fear. And I want to say to you, friends, that one of the most incredible things that's operating at the moment is a spirit of fear, keeping people locked down, keeping them in fear. I want to say this to you. The name of Jesus Christ is a name above all names. There's not a name that is not more powerful than the name of Jesus. There's not a sickness that's more powerful than the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And any moment in time that anything is elevated above the name of Jesus, friends, it is fear-driven. 
We're dealing with a virus. This is only just a virus. It has no power beyond the blood of Jesus. And I want to say to you, friends, we have to see it in proportion and perspective to what it is. And I want to say going forward that when fearful messages come, we've got to go back to the rock. We've got to go back to Jesus. We've got to go back to the spirit of truth within us. And I want to tell you the spirit of truth will, within you will keep your heart in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if you're battling with phobos, fear, terror, remember it's coming directly against your identity. And if you are battling, that's panic attacks, that's fear, that's anxiety. What if, what if, what's going to happen? That comes against your identity as sons, friends, to stop you from realizing that you're part of the bride. And then, of course, we know Delia fear, which comes in Timothy, comes against our calling. Do not be shaken. Do not be alarmed. Do not have fear. These things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. Then, remember, he's saying to the bride, then you will be handed over and be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from their faith and betray many and hate many. And friends, so he's saying to us, be careful, guys, be careful. Be so full of the Spirit so that you can walk and wait and be prepared for me. Because a time is coming where people are going to hate you. Why are they going to hate you? Because, friends, the light and the darkness cannot mix. What does light and darkness have together? And as the darkness increases, and I want to say this to you, we are living in that time right now. We are living in the time where there are people being persecuted for their faith. In China, they're being persecuted. In the Middle East, they're being persecuted. In Pakistan, they're being persecuted. And my friends, don't think the Western church is exempt from persecution. Because as the conflict between darkness and light gets stronger, persecution is going to be increasing. And we need to prepare for that. And we need to know that. And we need to be ready for that. Because glorious is the day that's coming. And it's great. But there is a journey to walk to get there. We will betray each other. It's incredibly important. The Bible says, excuse me. <coughs> I'm sending you. I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. Those ferocious wolves that are going to tear you apart. Therefore, be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. My friends, assess the spirits. Just because somebody comes to you in sheep's clothing does not mean that they love you, that they care about you, and that they have the same spirit in them that you have. And I'm telling you now, I mean, it was evident in this time of lockdown how many people were reporting each other for silly little things like going for a walk with their children. How much more when the persecution gets stronger, friends? We're going to have to have that discernment of the spirit of truth in us to be able to recognize those that are God and those that are operating under a different spirit. Because if we don't, we're going to be betrayed and we're going to come into a place where we will be hated and persecuted. But wise as a serpent, wise as a serpent. You know, you can have a serpent lying in your house for a week and you won't even know it until he exposes himself. And sometimes we've got to be hidden. Sometimes we've got to be crafty in the way that we work and we live and we bring the gospel to people. But never, friends, can we be deceptive because the spirit of deceptive comes, deception comes from the enemy and we can never come under that spirit. We've got to always be as innocent as a dove. Then it goes on to say, 
and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness the love of most will grow cold so again he warns about deception and again he says that you have to understand something there are two lots of people that he's calling his bride and some of them their love is going to grow cold and they're going to betray the ones that are hungry and thirsting for more of him and there is a separating of that which is light and that which is dark excuse me darkness but there's also a separating of that which is light and that which is compromise and we have to know that in this time there's going to be great persecution be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove but he who stands firm to the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will, will come and so friends he's saying to us guys be careful of false prophets be careful of deception be careful of those that look like sheep but they're not sheep be careful of them be wise in the way that you live know that you're going to be persecuted know that you're going to be be challenged know that these things are coming but stand 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 because if you prepare to stand to the end you will be saved and and it's just amazing he is talking to the church here and he says church know that these things are coming and you have to know how to stand so he warns him about the false prophets he warns them about, about do not have fear. Then he says to them, I want you to understand something. You will continue working till the very, very end because the gospel is going to be preached. The anointing on your lives to be able to go and to reach the lost is not going to change. This is not a time to go into your room and to say, come Lord Jesus, come and be me up, buddy. This is not that time, friends. This is the time to stand, to fall in love with the lover of our soul, to be expectant, to be watching and praying, to know the signs of the time, to say, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. But while we're getting ready, friends, we've got to get as many other people infected by the love affair and the passionate love that we have for our bridegroom because he is excited to come back for us and he can't wait to see us, but he can't come back because his bride has to be ready and waiting and because there are still people that have to be reached. And friends, the gospel is not going to stop being preached and there's going to be a great falling away he jesus says the love of most will grow cold i find that heartbreaking friends heartbreaking but in the time of the falling away he doesn't want us to focus on those that are falling away remember in in, in john 15 where he says he's pruning and he's cutting away branches but he's also pruning the good branches everything's being cut and changed friends don't focus on the falling away. Focus on those that he wants to bring into the kingdom. He then goes on to say, verse 15, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the rooftop of the house go down to take anything from the house. Let no one in the field go back to get cloaks. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. Now friends, I want you to understand that part of the message. He's speaking to the world and he's speaking to the lost and he's speaking to those who don't know him. Is it going to be a difficult time? It's going to be dreadful for those who don't know him. It's going to be 
terrible for those who don't know him. For those who do know him, there's going to be a betrayal. There's going to be um, a, um, a persecution. But I want you to know because you know him, because you are ready for him, those that are his bride are going to be operating under the spirit of Elijah. Those who are of this world are going to be operating as in the days of Noah. Dreadful times are coming. But friends, for those who know him, they're going to be glorious times. It then goes on to say, if these days had not been cut short, no one would have survived. But for the sake of the elect, these days will be shortened. For the sake of the bride, it's for our sake that he's going to shorten these days, friends. It's for our sake. How is he going to shorten them? By us being ready for him. Because he says he's waiting for us to get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. And as we are ready for him, friends, these days can be cut short. They will be cut short because the bride has made herself ready. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, where is the Christ? There he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles. And this is why I was talking to you two weeks ago about the fact that this is not a revival of power, friends. Because the enemy can counterfeit any power, any form of power he can counterfeit. Just like in the days of Moses. Moses' a rod turned into a snake. So did all the magicians' rods turn into a snake. He can counterfeit any power. Do not be impressed by power. I can't stress this enough. Do not be impressed by by those that are doing miraculous works. God says desire it and we're going to operate in it. And the more we grow in authority and the more we grow in our revelation of our sonship, the outworking of that will be the supernatural. And God's going to do it much more because he says that, that, that we're going to be operating in far more than he ever did. But friends, don't be impressed by signs and wonders. Don't be impressed by people that can do all kinds of supernatural things. That is not impressive because Half of that is the signs of the false prophets and the false messiahs. And I want you to understand, we have to look at fruit, friends. We've got to look at fruit. We cannot be in awe at what is operating in people's lives. We've got to look at the fruit of their life and say, does that person represent Jesus? Is there compassion to see the world safe for the kingdom's sake? Are they causing the bride to rise up in her beauty and her glory, ready for the king? Are they preaching a gospel of righteousness, holiness, and purity? Are they getting the bride ready? We have to know them by their fruit. Okay, and so he warns us, false prophets, he warns us about fear. He warns us <clears throat> that the gospel, he, he tells us, don't stop working. The gospel will be preached. Now, that's really important, seeing as everything's shutting down for the gospel's sake. They're making it more and more difficult. Therefore, it's going to be more and more exciting to be able to preach the gospel in a way that isn't religious and isn't Christianese. And we've got to get the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do that. And how are we going to do that, friends? We're going to ignite and infect people with the passionate love that we have for our bridegroom. It's love that's going to change the world. It's love that has no rule. Friends, it's love. It's going to be our passionate love. Loving on a desperate people, not judging them, friends. Loving them. The day of judgment is coming, but guess what? We're not going to be the ones judging. And we're not the ones to sit there throwing stones. It's loving, loving, loving people into their fullness. So he warns us about that. Okay. <clears throat> Now I'm going to be talking, let me just carry on a little bit more. Verse 29, immediately after the distress of these days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give light. The stars will appear in the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. 
<clears throat> at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. That's the dreadful part of the day, friends. Then they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky, and the power, and the great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the world heavens to the other. Now even this lesson from the fig tree. And so, friends, at this point of time, he says this. He says, then you're going to see me coming. Then you're going to see it. And the world is going to mourn. Friends, the world is going to mourn. But the bride is going to be so gloriously excited because he's coming to fetch her. And then he starts speaking about the first parable. And I want you to look at the four parables that he shares. And remember, he always spoke in parables because he wanted them to grasp an understanding of something. Now, we know that when he talks about the fig tree, often it represents Israel. But there's always a to and a through. There's a prophetic word to something and through something. And so not only would, will it represent Israel, that she's starting to blossom and that she's starting to grow, but it also represents the fact that he says, know the signs of the times. And when you see the beginning of this, that generation is going to see the end of it. Now, everything I've described up until now, friends, including the beginnings of the shakings of the heavens and the shakings of the earth, everything is happening right now in this time. It is the birth pains. It's the beginning. And it's going to get more intense and it's going to get more strong. And I want to tell you, we're going into 21, 2021, and it's going to get stronger. And we have to know that. We have to know that this is not going to go back to normal, that we are on a journey and we've got to keep preaching the gospel and we've got to keep getting ready. Now, <clears throat> verse 32, the lesson of the fig tree. As soon as it has twigs get, and get, oh, sorry, as soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, then you know the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth: this generation, which generation, the generation that sees all these things happening at the same time, friends, I'm seeing all these things happening at the same time. But so are my children and my grandchildren. Now, I don't know if I'm the one that's going to live until he comes back or if it's my children or my grandchildren. But the truth of the matter, there are three generations that are seeing it all happening at this point of time. One of them is going to be allowed when the father comes back. It goes on to say, <clears throat> um, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven or the sun, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, the world's living like Noah. We are living like the spirit of Elijah. And Elijah experienced the supernatural friends. And we're going to see supernatural feeding. We're going to see supernatural transporting. We're going to see supernatural things happening for the bride of Christ because we are living under that but the world is living as in the days of Noah. And I'm not going to unpack that tonight. I'm just mentioning that. But evil, paganistic, full of, full of flesh, full of worshipping anything and everything, full of freedom and, and sexuality and killing their children. <clears throat> um, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of, of Man. And so God warns us. He says, guys, I want you to understand something. Just like the fig tree. 
When you're starting to see it bud, you will see all of it happen and you will know that I'm coming back. And he says something important. He says, and whenever Jesus says something, there's always a witness of more than one voice. And he says this, he says he is near, he's standing at the door. Now, the other time that we hear that is in Revelations. And that's when he's speaking to the Laodicea church in Revelations 3 verse 18 to 20. And the first thing he says to the church of Laodicea, he says, you look warm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. <clears throat> but then he says this, you think you're rich, but you're poor. Come and pay the cost to get from me gold that's been tried in the fire and you will be rich. And God is saying to the church, church, let me refine you. Come and pay the cost so that you can be refined, so that you can be pure gold, so that you've gone through the testing of the fire, but you will come out on the other side full of my glory and full of my gold. Then he says, pay the cost for white robes so that you may clothe and your shameful nakedness can be covered. And so he's talking about the, the robes of righteousness, the transforming by the renewing of our mind, the sanctification through the Holy Spirit. Come and allow me to sanctify you and change you so that you've got the white robe, so that you can enter into my presence, so that you are righteous and holy. And friends, we can't make ourselves that. Only the Spirit can do that. And then he says, and by solve so that your eyes will be opened. My friends, the spirit of this world, the spirit of deception, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers, those who do not believe God fully, not the non-believers, the unbelievers, so that they cannot see the signs of the times. And he says, come and spend time with me that I can open your spiritual eyes so that you can see. And then he says, um, as many as I love, I rebuke and cha chasten, be zealous therefore. What is the attitude that he wants his bride to have? Zealousness excitement, joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength, full of the Spirit of God, full of the joy of the Lord, zealous, excited to do what, friends? To get ready, but also to reach the lost. Friends, it's the final hour, and if we don't reach them, no one will reach them. And it goes on to say, behold, I stand at the door. Exactly what he said in Matthew 24. He is right at the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And so we see the first warning. Friends, he's saying, if you can see the budding, if you can see the signs of the times, know that the generation that sees that is going to see the fulfillment of the signs of the times. A very clear picture that Jesus spoke. Then he spoke about the second um, then in Matthew 24 verse 42 it says therefore keep watch because you do not know the hour that the Lord will come and then he talks about the second parable um, and this is the parable of the of the wise and faithful servant I said to you earlier on we've got to be wise wise as serpents and innocence as doves and I'd like to read to you from verse 45 who then is the faithful and wise servant now he's talking about his servants friends you know, in the Old Testament, when they spoke about the servant of the Lord, it usually spoke about the prophets. Here he's talking about my servants, people that are fulfilling their calling and their destiny and they're doing what I've anointed them to do. He's talking to the church. He's talking to those that have been given responsibility in the final hours, friends. He's talking to those that are working for the king. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food in proper season? The servants, those that are working for God, the fivefold ministry, are responsible to be feeding the right food at this time. 
And I want to tell you, the Bible actually says meat. Giving them meat. At this point of time, friends, it is not the time to preach and teach the servants of God and the household of God on purity. It is the time to speak truth and to speak life and to speak meat and to bring people into fullness of authority. It is vital that we understand that. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. So what is God saying to the fivefold ministry? You keep teaching and bringing me to my body and you keep bringing them to maturity. That is your greatest responsibility. I tell you the truth. He will be put in charge of all his possessions. Now, in the beginning of the year, God said the season of being the sermon of all is over. It's time to become a ruler over much. It's time for the sons of God to take their rightful place. It's time for the sons of God to be responsible for their calling and for what God has called them to do. And in doing that, it's time for them to take a hold of their calling and to make sure that they are equipping and training with good food to whoever God has put under their care. <clears throat> I tell you the truth. I will make him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that his servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. Friends, the church is his. The body is his. The bride is his. We cannot touch his bride. We cannot abuse his bride. We cannot molest his bride. We cannot work harshly with his bride. We cannot hurt his bride. And I want to say this to you, that the wicked servants are hurting the bride. They're not feeding her and nourishing her and looking after her and bringing her to maturity. They're using her for personal gain and they are violating the kingdom of heaven in the way that they treat her, speak to her, as in the way that they elevate themselves as if they are God and they make her bend down to them. That is a violation. And the next thing he says here, and eats and drinks with drunkards, lives a compromising lifestyle, friends, lives with one foot in the world and lording over the body of Christ. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour, he's not aware of it. And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Friends, that's a warning to those that have been positioned to rise up and raise up and bring the bride into her beauty in this season. And I want to say to you, friends, it is a time for meat. It is not the time for purity. It is also the time for the bride to rise up into her beauty. It's also the time to keep on working and working and working even more, even if he's hesitating, even if it's taking a long time. Do not grow weary in well-doing because in due season you will reap if you faint not. And it doesn't matter how many teeth the sheep have. Just don't stop doing what God has called you to do. But do not treat her harshly. Do not treat her badly. Do not violate her. And do not have a, a foot in both camps and think you're going to be able to get away with it. Because God himself is going to come at an hour we least expected. And friends, that's a warning to all of us. And the next parable is also talking to the church. You see, what I wanted you to see that when he was talking about his time of coming back, he said it was going to be difficult times. <clears throat> but he's excited about the beautiful bride he's coming back for. And he wants his bride to be excited about him and to be so ready for him and to lay down everything else and make him the most important focus in this time, friends. 
And then he warns the servants, those that he's already positioned. And he says, know this. I've put something really important in your hands for this time and this season. And then, friends, he's speaking to the, to the ten virgins. Now, I want you once again to see he's talking to the, to the whole church. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the bride that he's coming back for. Uh, chapter 25. And this is the third parable that Jesus spoke just before he was crucified. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. What is the anticipation? What is the season? The spirit and the bride saying, come Lord Jesus, come. The expectation and the excitement. We're ready, we're ready, we're ready, we're ready. Come, 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 come. Now the first thing I want you to know, they were all virgins. They were all dressed in white. They all had allowed the Holy Spirit to transform them. They'd all gone and paid the cost for their robes of righteousness. They all had lamps. Now, friends, a lamp represents your calling, your gifting, and what God has called you to do because you've got to take your light to the world. Their lamps were a light. That means they had fire. That means that there was something of the supernatural operating through their lives. And, friends, the fire of God is what gives us the ability to prophesy. It's the fire of God that gives us the ability to do the supernatural. It's the fire of God that gives us power. And they were enamored with their gift and with the power. And I want you to understand something, friends. Our gift is not ours. It's been loaned to us. And yet we saw the virgins. They've got themselves ready. They've been given their gifts. They've got fire. They are they're operating in fire. They're doing the things it says in Matthew 7. It says that you've prophesied, you've prayed for the sick, you've healed the dead. And I'm going to say, I never knew you. Because if we're enamored with power and we're enamored with our gifting, and so many people are so focused on their gifting, they're so focused on, on wanting to, to bring forth their gift. Let my little lamp burn. I want my fire to be seen. I want to be impress people with my lamp. And friends, that's a dangerous place to be because he's not coming back for lamps. He's coming back for oil. Five of them were foolish and five of them was wise. Once again, talking about the foolish and the wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but not, did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. What is the oil, friends? It is the oil of the Holy Spirit. It's the oil of unction. It's the charisma. It's what it speaks about in 1 John 2, when it says the Spirit of the Lord is within you, and He will teach you all things. It's the oil of the anointing. It's the oil of that, that changes us and transforms us and brings us into the authority. It's the oil of intimacy. It's the oil of spending hours in the presence of God. It's the oil, uh, the, the, the anointing of spending hours with the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the anointing of work. It's the anointing of entering into rest. It is the anointing. It is the oil that we've received because we've been with Jesus and we've been with the Holy Spirit and we are so full of the Spirit. And remember, friends, at the end of the time, just before he comes back, there is such an incredible unity between the bride and the Spirit that they speak the same language. Jesus only ever did what the Father did. The Holy Spirit only ever did what Jesus did. Jesus is coming back for a bride that will only do what the Holy Spirit tells her to do. Full of the oil of the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's not how impressive your lamp is. It's how much oil are you carrying in your jars. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. 
At midnight, the darkest hour, friends. Jesus is coming back in the darkest hour. I want you to understand this. How deep is the darkness? Well, it's still going to get darker. And he's coming back in the darkest hour. <coughs> Where he's cut it short for the very elect. And it said they all got tired and they all dozed off. But in the darkest hour at midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, come and meet him. And all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. And that was a way of making your lamp burn brighter. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us, and it's you instead go to those who sell oil and go and buy for yourself. But while they were on the way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. Friends, I get overwhelmed by this. Because all of us are virgins. All of us have got our lamps. All of us have been doing this thing for God. But are we filling up our oil bags? Are we filling ourselves up? Are we so depleted that we've only got, can impress everybody with our gifts? Or are we so full that the light at the, at the drop of a moment can burn even brighter? Because we are full of them. You see, friends, when there's oil, there's no effort. There's no effort. It's an overflowing of grace and beauty and glory. But when there isn't oil, we've got to try and get it going, friends. And it becomes self-effort. And God is not coming back for those that are working in self-effort and striving and trying to impress everybody. He's coming back for those with oil. The virgins who were ready, the virgins who were ready, get ready, watch and pray. Get ready, watch and pray. The virgins who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet. Friends, he's preparing a feast. He's preparing a banquet. He's preparing a party for his bride. It's the most incredibly exciting thing. That excitement, that joy and the zeal that should be within our hearts as we get ready should be that for a party, a party with our bridegroom. But while the bride is parting, there's something else happening to those that aren't ready. And the door was shut. Later the others came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watching because you do not know the day or the hour. So Jesus warns again and he says, guys, I'm talking to the church. I'm telling those that are doing my work, stay wise, stay strong, treat my bride with gentleness, treat her, but give her meat, grow her up, grow her up, grow her up. And if you're not wise, when I come back, I'm going to chuck you out. And then he says to those that have been ready and that have been waiting and that have had some form of, of delight and joy in their ministry, don't be impressed with your ministry. Be impressed with the relationship that you have with me. Because friends, he's not coming back for people that impress others. He's coming back for people that love him and that have prepared themselves for him. And then the final parable that he spoke was the parable of the, of the, the talents. And this I'm going to read to you from um, Matthew 25 verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his property with them. Once again, talking to the bride, talking to those that he's positioned in this time. And he's given them gifts and he's given them anointings and he's given them abilities. 
To the one he gave five talents of money, and to another two, and to another one. My friends, all of us have different abilities, different amount of money talks about what you can afford to pay, what you can afford to spend, what you can give out. It's talking about what you've got to give out. And so there are different, different amounts of grace and different amounts of stamina. And not everybody's got the same amount, but whatever you've got, use it to the fullness, to the glory of God. And it says to each he gave five talents, the money to another two and to another one talent, each according to his ability. So God looks at us, friends, and he says, this is the ability, this is the grace, this is what they can carry, this is what they can do, and that's what I'm going to give them as an anointing, as a gift to empower them to do that. And that's why we can't be jealous of people that have got more talents than us. We can't be jealous of people that have more influence than us. We can't be jealous of people that are doing other things that we think we should be doing. Friends, because you've got according to your ability. That's what he's given you. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five talents went at once. I love that. And put his money to work and he gained five more. How do you get your money to work? How do you get your talents to multiply? Because as you sow, you reap. As you sow, you reap. If you want more, sow more. And that's in every area of your life. If you want to grow in prophetic, prophesy more. If you want to grow in finances, give more. If you want to sow in teaching, spend more time teaching and teach more. The more you sow, the more you reap. And so here's this man. He goes and he pours out what he's been given and immediately and multiplies. And he gets 10 talents. His capacity increased. His grace increased. He got bigger. And so did the one with two talents gained two more. So we can grow as we take what God's given us and we multiply it and we give it away. We will automatically grow in capacity and recognition and in people following and everything that God has got for us. But the man who received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. Well, I don't think I can do this. Oh, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm only, I'm little. I'm, I, I don't think God wants to use me. You know, I've only got one talent. I can only sing a little bit. Well, I've only got one talent. I can only preach a little bit. No, I don't think God wants to use me. But I'm just going to hide in humility. I'm going to hide my talent. No, it's not humility. It's the fear of man, friends. And as we take the little bit we've got and we hide it, and we don't use it and we don't multiply it, the master's coming back and he's going to hold us accountable for that. After a long time, the master of these servants ret uh, returned and settled the accounts with them. The man who received the first talent brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five, so I have gained five more. The joy, the excitement, the pleasure to be able to bless the master with what he had done. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will make you in charge of many and there was such a joy and such a delight. Come and share in your master's happiness. Joy. Wow, look what you did. You took this little bit and you multiplied it and you gave it away. And you didn't care about how stupid it sounded. And you didn't care about what it looked like. You just poured it out. And look what you've done. Well done. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many, many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, now listen to this. I knew that you are a hard man. Well, you know what, friends? That's the first lie. 
Because our God is a God of love and he's a God of goodness and he's not a hard man. The enemy is a hard man. But so many people believe that the God that we serve is nasty and mean and waiting to punish you. And this man, full of rejection, full of insecurities, full of inadequacies, full of himself, full of how little he can be, full of the fact that, oh, I'm just too small, I'm too meek, I'm too nothing, I'm just going to hide my little gift, and then coming pathetically with a victim attitude, oh God, you know, I know what a hard man you are, so I just hid it, and I'm just going to give it back to you. He's not a hard man, that's a lie, that's a deception, and religion makes us believe that our Father in Heaven is a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. That's another deception because God has poured out everything. Jesus did everything for us, friends. There's not a single thing that Jesus didn't do first. So that means his whole understanding of the Father heart of God is completely confused. And I want to tell you, friends, there's so many of us in the church that have no understanding of the Father heart of God. So I was afraid, fear-driven. And I went and I hid my talent to the ground. Fear robbed his identity and fear robbed his calling. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you lazy, wicked servant. So you knew that I wasn't here. Uh, so you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gathered where I have not scattered. So he tells him, so this is what you think of me. Well then, you should have put my money and deposited it into the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For anyone who has will be given more and I will have, and will have it in abundance. Whoever does not have, even that he has will be taken away and thrown and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. I've been speaking to you a lot about the fact that God is not limited by our insecurities and that God looks at our abilities and he expects out of us everything that we are able to give. And God does not understand our pity party. He doesn't understand our insecurities. He doesn't understand the fact that we make excuses and justify inadequacies. He's waiting for a return on our lives. And when we stand before him one day and he says, what have you done? Well, I was too scared to talk to people. I was too shy to do this. No one really wanted to listen. No one cared about me. Friends, he's not going to stroke that and say, oh, shame, I'm so sorry. He's going to say, lazy, wicked servant. Because he said, I've not given you a spirit of fear. So why has fear stopped you from doing what God's got for you to do? You may only have one talent. But that's your ability Go and sow that talent. And you know what will happen? You'll get more back, friends. You might only I, only, I could only play five guitar chords. And I led worship for many, many, many years with five guitar chords. Until somebody got better than me and bigger than me and they took over and it was amazing. And you know what, friends? I used that one talent. And people's lives were affected and changed. And we entered into presence and we entered into worship. And we saw the supernatural with me and my one little talent of five chords playing a guitar. Because that's all I could do. Because you see, friends, it's not how small you think you are. It's how mighty is he that is within you. And so we see this incredible parable where he says to them, um, take what I've given you and work and serve until I come back. Because you need to know I'm coming back for my bride without spot or blemish. But I'm also coming back for those that are working in the field. You see, Jesus is looking for his bride. 
He's looking for someone that's made a place of habitation for the king. He's looking for a bride that's full of oil. He's looking for a bride that's full of gold. He's looking for a bride that's been transformed. He's looking for a bride that knows her identity. He's looking for a bride that is doing what he's called her to do. This is the revival of the bridegroom coming back for the bride. But it's also the greatest outworking, the greatest revival we are ever going to have, friends. Do not look at those that are falling away. They're God's problem. Look at the harvest field. The harvest is white, but the laborers are few. Go and take the talents that you've got, no matter how little you think they are. And use them for the sake of the king. He's given us authority to stand on scorpions. That is hosts of wickedness in high places that come and try and tempt, torment, trouble, make tire and terrorize. He's given you authority to stand on those stinging bugs. He's also given you authority to stand on snakes. And we know it was a snake that deceived Eve. We know it was a snake that tried to deceive Jesus. And it's the spirit of the snake that is the deceptive spirit in this last days. Friends, those that are full of his spirit will be able to stand on that snake and kill it. You've been given authority so that you can overcome the power of the evil one. His bride cannot be unequally yoked. I love Psalm 45 from 9 to 17 and I'm going to invite you to read that because it's a picture of the bride getting herself ready for the bridegroom. And then um, I want to read to you from, um, I'll get there in a minute. God is calling us to get ready. How do we get ready? Friends, incredible amount of intimacy in the presence of God, obedience, humility, time in his word. You know that you're in a good place in God when the word still causes something emotional to stir in your heart. When being in the presence of the Holy Spirit causes you to weep just out of the glory of being in the presence of God. We have to allow him to prune us, friends. He's got to cut off us yesterday's old fruit so that there can be a new harvest and new fruit. We've got to allow him to raise us up into our full sonship because Jesus is wanting to ordain his sons. It says in John 15, 16, you, are not, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you so that you should go forth and bear much fruit, so that your fruit should remain and whatever you ask in the Father's name, he will give it to you. He wants to deal with our insecurities. He wants to deal with our excuses. Friends, we've got a window of time before he comes back to deal with the things that have stopped us being the wise servants, the wise um, uh, people with talents, the virgins that are ready for the king. We've got to see the signs of the times. Don't be blind. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. See the times, friends. Get ready because he's coming back and no one knows the hour. And don't think because you think it's still going to be a long time that it is. He could come tonight and he's coming back for his bride. But we've got to occupy until he comes. We've got to work until he comes. We've got to deal with our insecurities. We've got to deal with our unforgiveness. We've got to deal with our excuses. And we've got to deal with the things that have stopped us from flowing in the fullness of who he's created us to be. Friends, he's talking to the church in those four parables. He's saying, I'm coming back for my bride. But I want you to know not everyone that says to me, Father, is my bride. And there's a separation. And after this, he goes on to talk about the separating of the sheep and the goats straight after this last parable. And friends, we are in the time now where there's a great falling away. We are in the time where those that are hungering after more of him are going to get brighter and brighter and brighter and more glorious. We're in a time where darkness is going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. We're in a time where we're going to be criticized, friends. You cannot be hurt by that. You cannot be offended by God. When he prunes you, you cannot be hurt by criticism. 
You've got to learn how to live with criticism so that you can stay in the light and not be sucked out of that into darkness. You've got to get very comfortable with the fact that people are going to hate you because of who you are in Him. It's okay, friends. It's okay. But let your love affair with the lover of your soul get stronger and stronger and stronger and get as many people infected by your love relationship as you possibly can. I had a, a wonderful time recently just having a lovely chat with my daughter. And you know what? She's a real fire lighter. Both my girls are. I love talking to them about God because they challenge me. They stretch me. They keep me thinking out the box. I want to tell you there was a time that I taught them. Now they teach me all the time because they are such women of the word. They're such women of the spirit. They're such women of faith in their own right. And I was having a conversation with Donnie the other day. And she said, Mom, we're going in a season where God is dealing with our dis. And I said, what? She said, God told me he's dealing with our dis. D-I-S. I said, Donnie, what is this? So I went and looked up this. And friends, God is dealing with our dis. This means a Latin prefix, meaning what's been put apart, asunder, away. Utterly, it is a negative or a reversing force. Using freely, especially with these latter senses, as an English formative word. And friend, I, wanna, I want you to understand this, that whenever this comes in front of something, it has a negative force to drive in the opposite direction. Discourage takes our courage and drives it in the opposite direction. Disbelief takes our belief and drives it in the opposite direction. Disability takes our ability and drives it in the opposite direction. And there are so many words to disown. To feel abandoned, to disown, takes our ownership as sons of God and drives it in the opposite direction. Dis is a word used by the enemy friends to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we are in a season of dis like never before. Discontentment, disinterested, disempowered, dishonest, disconnected, distrust, discourage, disgrace, disrespect, dismiss, distasteful, just to mention a few. And God is saying it's a time to deal with your dis so that you can rise up and become everything that I've called you to be. And as I've been pondering on that, I felt God dr drop this in my heart. You see, friends, there's only one letter difference between this word and this word. This is the word of thinking. And God says you've got to take your thoughts captive. And when we're always brooding on dis, when we're always brooding on our discontentment, on the fact that we haven't got enough, that we are discouraged, that we are, that we are disinterested, that we're disempowered, when we're always brooding on that, friends, what happens? I cry. And we go into depression. And this state puts us in a place of can't. But with one letter change, friends, just one letter change. If you take the I cry that spends all my time imploding and thinking about me and everything that I can't do, like the man with one talent, and we just change one letter and we put an A. Do you see what happens there, friends? The moment we put an A in that place, what do we get? We get thank. And God is calling us into a time of thank.
thanking him. I just want to make it darker for you to see. He's calling us into a time of thanksgiving, friends. And every time that we want to think, and it's all about our cry, we've got to change it to A, thank. And every time that we thank, look what happens. You stand because an A has got two legs. And what happens? You stand. You don't implode. And suddenly, all your can'ts turns to can. And I want to tell you, friends, that if we spend all the energy and time that we usually spend on thinking into thanking, suddenly our whole world will change because God is call, calling us to thank Him, thank Him, thank Him. And when you start thanking Him, your discouragement will break and you will have courage, friends. And when you start thanking Him, your discouragement believe will break and you will start believing friends because the God of this world has blinded the, God, the eyes of the unbelievers so they cannot see and if there's disbelief in your heart start thanking God what do you thank him for that you're part of the bride friends life sucks we don't thank him for what sucks we thank him that he's in control and that he's in charge and we can trust him with our life and we can trust him with what's happening. And suddenly your disability will move to ability and we're dealing with our discs. And I want to say to you, friends, how many times does the thought of the word dis rise up in your head? And I want to say to you, deal with your dis. Because if you do that, you're going to stop the negative force that is stopping you from being all that God has created you to be. Revelations 21 verse 2 to 9 says, And I, John, saw the Holy Spirit, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Oh, what an amazing thing to see. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Friends, Jesus spoke about his second coming as the most exciting, glorious thing because he was coming to fetch his bride. And he's saying to the bride, be excited, be excited, be excited because I'm coming. Don't get tired, don't get weary, and don't for one minute get caught up in the darkness of this world. But keep doing what I've called you to do. Keep operating in the fullness of everything that I've called you to be and what I've called you to, be, to do. And then it says in Revelations 22 verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that hears say, come, and let him that thirsts come, and whoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Revelation ends with the spirit and the bride in such unity, in such oneness, that the habitation of the spirit within the bride has been so well presented and so well formed within her. That Jesus only did what the Father said, the Spirit only did what Jesus said, and the bride in complete unity and oneness only does what the Spirit says. Friends, he's coming back for his bride. It's the most exciting thing. It's a glorious day. Is it going to be difficult? Yes. Are there going to be things we have to conquer? Yes. But if we never lose sight that we, he is coming back and he's preparing us as his bride for that great and glorious day, the wedding supper and the celebration. Friends, you will not give up. You will not grow weary. You will not get tired. You will not let insecurities deal. 
Deal with your dis. Come into your place of contentment, always celebrating the goodness of God. Be so full of the Spirit that the Spirit will lead you through everything, the wisdom of a serpent and as innocent as a dove. Know that we are under the anointing of Elijah. <coughs> where supernatural things are going to be manifested in a far greater way. The world is under the season of Noah, friends. And we've got to reach as many as we possibly can because the time is short. God bless you abundantly. Can't wait to see and hear from you all again. This may be the last time I'll teach this year on this forum, but look forward to hearing from you, seeing you, and answering any questions that you may have. I love you incredibly beautiful, beautiful bride of Christ. Keep eating meat. Keep growing. Keep watching and praying. Enjoy your families. But stay alert and stay sharp. The King is coming and He's coming for you. God bless you abundantly. Good night.